few weeks ago when we began this series of messages on life with God as King. We began this series with an invitation at the heart of it that is this. We're invited not to apply the Bible to our lives. We're invited not to apply the Bible to our lives, but to apply our lives to the Bible. As those who are living under the way of the benevolent King Jesus. Which brings us to Psalm 15, which you heard read earlier, you heard James just speak about and sing about. And I need to give you this disclaimer. We cannot fulfill the picture of the life given to us in Psalm 15. Maybe. That's the disclaimer. We'll come back to that. Psalm 15 is not one of those songs that soars into the heights of God's glory or the depths of the world's pain. So many of the psalms do that. This is not one of those. It is a psalm about applying our lives to the truth of Scripture. It is a psalm that invites us to a question. And the question is this. What difference does this 60-minute exercise in worship really make? That's the question that this psalm invites us to. Let's think about it this way. What were you thinking about when you came into church this morning? What were you thinking about when you were walking up the sidewalk today? Now, perhaps we don't give much thought to that, but the practice of the worshiping Hebrew community was to recite or even to sing psalms as they entered the temple. And this is one of those potential entrance psalms. So when they're walking up into the temple, they're reciting or they're singing Psalm 15 as one potential. So imagine it this way. Imagine rather than waiting for the band to strike the first chord, James is outside on the sidewalk. And you're walking up into the building. And he is leading in take my life and let it be and we're walking into the building going take my life and let it be consecrated lord to thee as we're walking down the hall as we're walking in the building as we're finding our way into the sanctuary that's the picture that we have but for us as those who claim to follow christ it's deeper than that because we believe that the temple of the Holy Spirit is us. We believe that we house the presence of God by faith in Christ, by the power of His Spirit. And because we believe that, how does our day change if we actually carried the liturgy of worship into every day and each moment into wherever we find ourselves? That is the feel of Psalm 15. So please have your Bible either on your phone or a physical Bible opened up to Psalm 15. As we think, first of all, about the life. The life that this psalm calls us to. We should have figured something was up from the start of this 21 days ago. 21 days ago, we found ourselves with the three magi as they culminated their lifelong search for a king. 
And we said this, that they were looking for a king who would conquer the world not by the misguided ways of self-serving power, as is the norm of kings. But rather, this is a different way of conquering. This king would conquer a different way. This king would conquer by the power of love. But there's a corresponding truth to all of this. Those who live life with this king are different people. And that may be one of the most essential, if not the most essential truth the church needs to awaken to today. That the king's people are different people. Let's think about that for a moment. I had a recent conversation with someone asking the question, when are we to declare publicly that we are Christians? Now, that conversation wasn't one that was rooted in a fear of being criticized or in some kind of concern about going on record publicly, but rather it came out of this reality. To say you're a Christian in many settings immediately closes conversations with the very people we are wanting to be in conversation with about their life and souls. I have a family member who I adore who says to me occasionally, I am churchophobic. I don't know about you, but some days I'm churchophobic. See, I, I am churchophobic. Why are you churchophobic? Well, it is because of the negative experiences they have had with Christians, especially in recent years. So just saying I'm a Christian isn't enough. There's something else that has to buttress that. And that brings us back to Psalm 15, verse 1. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? That question frames this entire psalm, and we're going to come back to it at the end. But it's really asking this, what kind of life belongs to the person who claims to worship the king? What kind of life belongs to the person who claims to worship this king? You see, the word dwell there literally has the idea of to stay there as a resident alien. And the word translated live means to settle down, to be at home. To be at home and that idea of tent and that idea of holy mountain all speaks of where the presence of God was meeting them in the temple. So if we want to translate that maybe into some of our language, maybe the question is this. Who is the person who lives differently because they're at home in the presence of God? Are you at home in the presence of God? Who is the person who lives differently because they're at home? in the presence of God. What follows in this psalm, as we heard, is not really a checklist for religious performance to make sure we're meeting some criteria. This psalm captures the character of that person and what they're like in the world. It reveals a direct bearing that the life of worship has on the life in the marketplace, the life in the social media space, the life at the kitchen table, the result of being in God's presence. Why is that? Because you cannot live in the presence of God 
and leave unchanged. You cannot dwell in the presence of God and be the same person. I think St. Paul captures that with these thoughts. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Don't live like darkness like you used to live. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And that's what happens to the worshipers who will actually be most impacted by the presence of God. Those worshipers begin to live a specific kind of life. We established way back there on January 8th that Jesus' kingdom is subversive. It is subversive. It subverts the power-based kingdoms of the world. That is why the presence of that baby Jesus was such a discomfort to Herod. And that is why the true presence of Jesus is still a discomfort to the Herods and the kings and the empires of our world. But if that's true, if his life, if, if, if his kingdom is subversive, it stands to reason that I am to live a subversive life. Again, imagine walking into the church building with all the expectations of what worship may be or what worship may not be, what I expect it to be, what I want it to be, or, or what I'm thinking it's going to be, or maybe you're thinking about the dinner you had on Thursday night walking in or maybe today you're walking in thinking trying to decide if you're a Bengals fan or a Chiefs fan or a Niners fan in my home I'm a Niners fan or else I'll be disowned by my in-laws right today I'm a Niners fan for one day only right or dare I say it an Eagles fan whatever's on your mind coming into church today but imagine as you're coming in with all those expectations, we had a list of questions for you to ask yourself. Based off of Psalm 15, questions like these. Did your life ring true to your profession of faith this week? How about this one? Did your words reveal truth with love? Did you dispense grace to your friends, most of the time easy, but also to your enemies? Did you not malign another's character, including social media and other places? Did you cherish the good while resisting the evil? Did you keep your word, no matter the cost, did you remain faithful in your commitments to others? And lastly, did you not use power for personal gain at the expense of another? You see, those are the questions that Psalm 15 is asking. So imagine that you are walking into church and we're, someone's sitting there going, Jeff, did your words carry love this week? Jeff, did you use power for your own advantage against you know, using others that way? Now, if that was an entrance requirement for this worship service this morning, there'd be nobody here. Good chance. So this isn't a checklist for behavior. 
but rather it's a reminder for the worshipers that they're coming into the presence of a holy God and that this is serious business in our hearts, our very lives. Take my life as it is. Our hearts are presented to him. And it indicates for us that the lives we live become acts of worship that validate our faith in the world. Because when you read Psalm 15, it really isn't about, you know, how I'm just going to hang out in my own little house. It's about the life I live in the world that's all around me. It's about validating our faith. A voice from another day speaks. Francis Schaeffer said this, too often Christians have failed to show the beauty of love, the beauty of Christ, the holiness of God, and the world has turned away. Is there no, then no way to make the world look again this time at true Christianity? Must Christians continue to stand with arms folded, presenting to men and women a tarnished image of God, a shattered body of Christ? How should we show the world that we are Christians? Those words were written 53 years ago. I was 10 years old when those words were written. But they could have been penned at 6.30 this morning. How should we show the world that we are Christians in a world where because of behavior of Christians, it's almost become a derogatory term. Ouch. Francis Schaeffer's answer is as relevant today as it was 53 years ago. He said this, love is the final apologetic. In other words, demonstrable love is our first, best, and final defense of the Christian faith. I'm glad that Schaeffer agrees with Jesus. Right? He said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And that's the greatest evidence that we have actually been in the presence of God. And as I was working through this, as I was wrestling through this, a question struck me. It's not your question unless you want it to be. So if you want to take on this question, up to you. No harm, no foul if you don't. But it's my question. Jeff, when you leave here today, when you go from this place today, is there a chord struck in your heart to love more truly and broadly? And if not, did you really worship? Wow, that's, that was like I was preparing for this message and the Holy Spirit said, you need to think about something. I hate it when God does stuff like that. Isn't that what Psalm 15 is wanting us to consider? And isn't that a life that subverts the ways of the world? Think about the motivating forces in our world, in the economic or political or entertainment, and even the religious sector, where we honor the wicked as long as they give us what we want in return for our loyalty. Where we make acceptable an unwillingness we make acceptable. 
an unwillingness to keep the promises we make in relationships, in business, to God. Where we are quick to use people rather than to love people. We use them as a resource, sometimes even just to pad the bottom line. You see, these words from the psalmist bring a measure of needed discomfort to us. At least it brings discomfort to me. I mean, it's a good thing that this is not a checklist for acceptance with God and worship, because as I suggested, my guess is every one of us will fail at some point. But it's a deep call, deeper than just getting our good deeds down and saying, look, I'm a Christian. It is a call to the type of life we live. It is a call to the type of life that the prophet reminds us. Micah said, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? So you see, walking up into the temple, if that psalm, if Psalm 15 was the entrance psalm of that day, they're walking into the temple, they're making commitments to God about their character, and they're making commitments to God about the impact of their character on relationships. Because they recognized that their Lord had a different metric than the world around them. And the Lord still has a different metric than the world around us. So our lives are to subvert the self-oriented values and impulses that are culturally acceptable. That are considered normal. That sometimes are even called good business. Living under the kingship of Jesus means the goal in life, as we sang is moving at the impulse of his love. And this psalm reveals this radical life is rooted in that impulse. But all of that brings us to the paradox. The paradox, this psalm is a paradoxical psalm in many ways. You see, I think this is what the psalm's real intention is. In fact, it calls us to the most subversive truth of of all it invites us to come face to face with the actual preparation for worship the most subversive truth of them all and that's subverting our gods of self-reliance and self-actualization Because it calls us to recognize something in this. We need God. You can say that with me if you'd like. We need God. We cannot fulfill this picture of life that this psalm paints for us in ourselves, which calls us to return to the beginning. Verse 1, Lord, Who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Who may dwell in your presence? In their masterful book, The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb, the authors write, the flourishing self is the abiding self, not the actualized self. It is the self that's wholly dependent upon God. How upside down is that? That's like completely upside down in the whole world around us. We should appear strange. We should look different because 
That's an upside-down truth in our world. How subversive can you get when you're saying that real life isn't about my self-actualization, it is about my total dependence upon Jesus? Well, these guys go on, and they write this. In the kingdom, flourishing is found in serving others, not lording over them. In the kingdom, flourishing is discovered by being last, not first. In the kingdom, flourishing is embracing the littleness of our roles and accepting the less honorable positions. In the kingdom, flourishing is known in our weakness. See, that's subversive to everything around us. We need God for that to happen. How many of you think that the scripture writers that God used had a sense of humor? Anyone? How many think Jesus had a sense of humor? You know, I, I think Jesus had a sense of humor. Definitely. I think Paul the Apostle, though, Paul the Apostle comes across as this, like, stoic, serious dude. You, want, you don't want to have dinner conversation with Paul. He's going to go on some rabbit trail, and you're not going to understand what he's saying, and all you did was ask, pass the beans, Paul, and he, you know, he gives you this whole other thing. Well, Paul, I think, has a sense of humor, but he makes a point. At least it is. Every time I read this passage, I start laughing. Because he's talking about me. Listen to what he says. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. By the way, this is not a lesson in how to influence people. Right? It's not a good start. He goes on. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's talking about me. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He keeps talking about me. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now look at these next words. Five words. It is is because of him say that with me it is because of him that you are in christ jesus who has become for us wisdom from god that is our righteousness our holiness our redemption everything that psalm 15 says is what our lives are to be about is in jesus we need him and so it is those who stay in his presence, those who dwell in him, who is consummate love, those who hold to the love for God and worship of him as the true king, those who wholly depend on Jesus, this is where we find the grace, the strength, and the wisdom to live this subversive life. Because as James adequately and appropriately said, it's scary some days to say, I am going all in with God. But we can't do that in ourselves. It begins with one subversive thought. One. This is how Augustine put it. Without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. Can't do it without him. Can't. Just can't. Now in God's wisdom and some might say sense of humor God basically says to us 
Without you, I won't either. So we know that he wants us. How cool is that? That he invites us in to relationship and to live this life. But it begins with this recognition. God, without you, I can't. Without you, I can't. Whatever it is you're walking through today, whatever it is, whatever it is you're facing in this very real world, wherever it is really hard for you to live this subversive life of total dependence on God, remember this. Without God, you can't. The traits and the characters of Psalm 15 are echoed in the New Testament. A beautiful portrait of them, painted. Imagine this beautiful mural that's painted that's describing Psalm 15 and you find yourself in Galatians 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say, Jeff, the fruit of your great ingenuity. It doesn't say, Jeff, the fruit of your great productivity. It doesn't say, Jeff, the, great, the fruit of your great vision. Jeff, the fruit of your great whatever, your great intellect, your great resources, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the presence of God. It's joy, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he goes on in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In some days, it's hard to keep in step with the Spirit, quite honestly. But I think that is what Psalm 15 invites us to consider. Worship team, why don't you come forward? You see, Psalm 15 invites us to consider this idea of this subversive life as we walk up the sidewalk entering the church building. As we walk into the office, as we walk down the streets, as we walk into the store to do business, as we walk into our family room, as we walk into the relationships of our lives, as we walk into whatever life brings for us. This life of worship we are called to live, this subversive life is built upon utter love and dependence on the King, Jesus. Can't forget the last word, can we? Verse 5. Whoever lives like this will always stand strong. Again, not because everything's working out, not because you have it all figured out, not because you've gone down the checklist and you went, yeah, look, look how good my life is. No, no, no. But because we'll be his. Because we know that without God, we can't. And because he's with us, he'll grant us strength that we need, that we didn't even know we had, to live this life that reflects him. So what we're going to sing about as we close is we're going to sing about construction. That's an exciting subject. But it's what we're all into. We're all into building a life. And today I want to invite you to build a subversive life. A life oriented to the kingdom. 
than the king. A life that reflects him. A subversive life. Let's stand and sing and let's build our life upon him.